House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back to the House of Mystery on KFNX Phoenix, 1100 AM Independent Talk Radio. I'm your host today, Al Warren. Um, now, quite often we're talking about um, injustice and uh, quite often with um, true crime and and uh, people that have been wrongly accused and put away and 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 how long it takes for people to get out and sentences to be turned. Uh, we're, we're talking about that again, but in... Um, a, a much bigger format here, and of course we're talking about the uh, Rear Admiral uh, husband Kimmel, and uh, joining us is uh, his grandson, uh, Thomas Kimmel. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Al. It's always nice to talk uh, to somebody on the other West Coast. Yeah, <laughs> the wet one, the cold one. This is quite a... Um, Quite a story, and I'll tell you what, I, I didn't realize um, it, how it had gone through all these different uh, hearings and how it ended up and, and, and what's going on, really, until I came across uh, the book A Matter of Honor uh, by Anthony Summers and Robin Swan. And, um, and I caught the documentary on HBO, The Last Half, and I was like, wow. Um, you know, I've, I've always heard rumors about Pearl Harbor and, of course, FDR and and the coding and we've had Bob Stinnett on before, um, so I, I was really surprised and I I couldn't believe that you guys were still going through this. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Al. But since you mentioned this book, A Matter of Honor, let me uh, start with that. Uh, we're not just talking about another Pearl Harbor book. We are talking about the best book ever written about Pearl Harbor and Admiral Kimmel. And I think I'm uh, in a pretty good position to make a judgment to that effect because I've read virtually all of them. This book has only been out since November 15th of this year, of last year, I beg your pardon, which just coincides nicely with my uh, 73rd birthday. Thank you very much. <clears throat> I can't recommend this book uh, more highly. Uh, I was extensively interviewed for this book, as I was for another Pearl Harbor book <clears throat> by another author, and remarkably... Uh, uh, Summers and Swan uh, paid attention to information that I had, and indeed in my uh, personal files, they copied, and I, there's no exaggeration here at all, Al, they copied some 10,000 pages of my, wow. my personal files. Now, they went on and did much more uh, investigative research work. It's really a remarkable uh, achievement in uh, investigation and research, and I say that as a 25-year FBI veteran of investigations. They had just done a, a, an amazing job, and it contrasts dramatically with uh, another author that had full access to my files and really uh, made um, no good use of them at all. It's really a shame. So that's enough about the book. Again, I can't recommend it more highly. But uh, in order to uh, get some perspective on this Pearl Harbor matter and how long this thing has been an issue uh, for the country, for the Navy, for my grandfather, Admiral Kimmel, and most definitely uh, for Admiral Kimmel's two surviving sons, both now deceased, my dad and my uncle, and now for me and my cousin. I'll start with... Uh, 
the real story within the Pearl Harbor story, because this is this is uh, really sets the tone for the whole thing. And here's how it went: nine days after the Pearl Harbor attack, the President of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, selected a sitting Supreme Court Associate Justice to investigate the Pearl Harbor attack, that is, the Army and the Navy only, and then only in Hawaii. Ten days after the Pearl Harbor attack, Admiral Kimmel, the commander of the Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor during the attack, and the head of the Army Hawaiian Command, Lieutenant General Walter Short, were fired and replaced. Eleven days after the Pearl Harbor attack, Justice Roberts began his deliberations. He, his commission deliberated for a grand total of 36 days, a grand total of investigating for 36 days. 47 days after the attack, they wrote a report, <clears throat> sent it to the President of the United States, 47 days after the attack, declaring, Al, declaring Kimmel and Short solely responsible for the success of the Japanese attack and derelict in their duty. <clears throat> the president read the report, loved it, signed it, unredacted, gave it to the press. That would have been the end of the Pearl Harbor story. Soup to nuts. But for probably one man, and that man was Captain Lawrence Safford. Lawrence Safford was the head of Op-20G, which is Naval Communications Intelligence. Indeed, he was the revered father of Naval Communications Intelligence. A couple of years after the Roberts Commission, Captain Safford went to visit my grandfather living in disgrace in Bronxville, New York. Captain Safford, unannounced, went into my grandfather's office to ask him some questions that Safford had about the Pearl Harbor attack. And the questions went thus. Captain Safford looked at Admiral Kimmel and said, Admiral, did you have available to you in Hawaii prior to the Pearl Harbor attack the same information we had in the Office of Naval Intelligence in Washington, D.C. prior to the attack from a secret... <coughs> program decoding Japanese diplomatic and spy communications that we called MAGIC. Code name for it was MAGIC. And prior to the Pearl Harbor attack, Admiral, it gave us indications of the time, place, reason, and deceit plan to cover the Pearl Harbor attack. Did you have that information available to you in Hawaii? Well, Admiral Kimmel looked at Captain Safford and said, Captain, what in the world are you talking about? What is magic? Captain Safford explained that very day, February 21st, 1944, my grandfather went from a beaten, despondent man, he turned into a fighting tiger. He got himself representation out of Boston. The junior attorney, the junior attorney on that legal team, Ed Hanafy, took Captain Safford's information and actually wrote the enabling legislation that Hanafy took to the Naval Affairs Committee 
the Naval Affairs Committee were so impressed with what they read, they took the matter to the full Congress. And the full Congress ordered, by law, the Army and the Navy to conduct further investigations of the Pearl Harbor attack, or there would have been no further investigation of the Pearl Harbor attack 47 days after the attack. So of the nine official investigations of the Pearl Harbor attack, the last seven were all caused directly to occur by Admiral Kimmel using Safford's information, or the last one in 1995 by Admiral Kimmel's two surviving sons, my dad and my uncle. And here's the way it went. When you're talking about the Pearl Harbor investigations and trying to get your arms wrapped around this Pearl Harbor story, really all you need to know is the first investigation the first investigation took place a week after the Pearl Harbor attack. The Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox, went out to Hawaii three days after the attack and brought back a report a week and a half after the attack to President Roosevelt. And here's what Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox's report to Franklin Roosevelt said. It said in essence, that Kimmel and Short in Hawaii were not alerted, were not alerted, and that the fighter planes that Kimmel and Short needed had been sent to Britain, the Dutch, the Chinese, and the Russians. The next day, however, Secretary Knox was told to tell the press merely that Hawaii was not alert not that it had not been alerted, that it was not alert. Of course, this allowed the press to take it up a notch and report that Hawaii was asleep. Not that they had not been alerted, but they were asleep. Knox, Secretary of the uh, Navy Frank Knox's deep sixth report <clears throat> was known to the Roberts Commission but was not revealed to Kimmel and Short. The second investigation, the one that I had referred to earlier, the Roberts Commission, which started 11 days after the Pearl Harbor attack, December 18, 1941. Here is the dark heart of that Roberts Commission matter. The Washington High Command falsely falsely, Al, testified to the Roberts Commission that Kimmel and Short had the same magic information in Hawaii as they had in Washington, D.C. This false information was calculated to do and did Kimmel and Short irreparable prejudice. The Washington High Command had an obligation as officers and decent human beings to rectify the prejudice to Kimmel and Short from such deplorable misinformation. They did not do so. The third investigation. Now we have investigations that prompted by uh, Kimmel, Kimmel, by Kimmel, by Admiral Kimmel. This is the third investigation. Now we're in 1944. This is the Hart investigation. Captain Safford revealed magic to Admiral Hart. The fourth investigation. 
Admiral Kimball revealed magic to the Army Pearl Harbor Board. After, Al, after the head of the Army, George Marshall, had committed perjury on multiple occasions before the Army Pearl Harbor Board and had successfully ordered his subordinates to do the same, and they did. The Army Pearl Harbor Board eventually figured this out, <coughs> which is why General Marshall was so severely criticized by the Army Pearl Harbor Board. The fifth investigation, again now we're in 1944, this is one that's ordered by Congress through the efforts of Admiral Kimmel, the Naval Court of Inquiry, the only one of the nine official investigations which incidentally accorded Admiral Kimmel the opportunity to defend himself, and by defend himself I mean accorded Admiral Kimmel the opportunity to call and to cross-examine witnesses. In none of the other investigations was he allowed to do that. Accordingly, the Naval Court of Inquiry virtually exonerated Admiral Kimmel and criticized his only uniformed boss in the Navy, the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Stark. The Naval Court of Inquiry, since it was the only one that accorded Admiral Kimmel the opportunity to defend himself, we should note the findings of the Naval Court of Inquiry. Number one, the Naval Court of Inquiry found that there was not a scintilla of evidence to support a charge of dereliction of duty against Admiral Kimmel. Number two, they found that Admiral Kimmel committed no errors of judgment. Let me say that again. No errors of judgment based upon the information that he was given. The third finding was to approve all of Admiral Kimmel's force dispositions Again, on the basis of information that he was given. And, of course, their last finding was to criticize Admiral Kimmel's only uniform boss, the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Stark, for not keeping Admiral Kimmel appropriately and adequately informed as to what was going on, as he had promised Admiral Kimmel he would do on multiple occasions in writing. Now, as a matter of fact, the head of the Naval Court of Inquiry, Admiral Murphan, the president of the court, he opined that the court, a three-man court, they opined that they thought Admiral Kimmel had done everything possible under the political circumstances of that time. The 6th, 7th, and 8th investigations, the Clark, Clausen, and Hewitt investigations merely tinkered at the margins. The big investigation, the Joint Congressional Committee, found no dereliction of duty. That ended the investigations in Admiral Kimmel's lifetime. Interestingly enough, in 1991, the Army Board for Correction of Military Records <clears throat> was petitioned by General Short's surviving son, Colonel Short, West Point graduate. General Short deceased in 1949. In 1991, his son, Colonel Short, went to the Army Board for Correction of Military Records <clears throat> and sought posthumous relief for his deceased father, advancement <clears throat> on uh, uh, the retirement <clears throat> list from two stars to three stars, from Major General to Lieutenant General, as he was at the time of Pearl Harbor. Interestingly enough, the Army Board for Correction of Military Records 
found injustice, which is what the Army Board for Correction of Military Records is supposed to do. They are assigned by Congress, by law, to find injustice or error in Army records and correct it where they can. <clears throat> and in this opportunity, they could. <clears throat> and they recommended that the relief be granted <clears throat> that Colonel Short was requesting for his dad, and that was advancement. However, the Army Board for Correction of Military Records recommendation, favorable recommendation, was overturned by higher authority in the Army without an alternative finding of facts. Just like that. We're going we're, we're to say no, and that's the end of that. <clears throat> In 1995, there was a tenth investigation that was prompted by Admiral Kimmel's two surviving sons. It was the Dorn investigation uh, prompted by Senator Thurman of South Carolina. And the Dorn report was interesting in that for the first time, and that would be in 54 years, the Doran report recognized that responsibility for success of the Japanese attack should be broadly shared. <laughs> but, Al, it has not been. Clearly it has not been. <clears throat> Indeed, it is unconscionable. To continue to punish Kimmel and Short once this concept has been accepted. Advancing Kimmel and Short does not diminish their command accountability and responsibility any more than ignoring the command accountability and responsibility of Kimmel and Short's superiors diminishes theirs. Now, here's a question for you. That's the predication. We've been through all the investigations. Let me ask you this question, which most people really have no idea of the answer, but I think it's very important for your listeners to understand this, because we are continuously rebuffed in our request for advancement of Kimmel and Short by the abstraction, the abstraction that the commander is responsible, period. End of the story. The commander is responsible. No one on the Kimmel side denies that the commander is fully responsible. But the truth is, Al, that the advancement issue has nothing to do with assigning responsibility and everything to do with bureaucratic malice and abuse of authority. Consider this question. Why is Admiral Kimmel the only qualified flag officer, meaning Admiral, the only qualified flag officer not advanced under the Officer Personnel Act of 1947. The Officer Personnel Act of 1947 was a benefit given to all Navy flag officers at the three and four star level, allowing all of them to retire at their highest held temporary ranks. A little word on temporary and permanent rank. A temporary rank is a rank you get with the job, like commander of the Pacific Fleet. When you have that job, you temporarily have four stars. When you leave that job, for whatever reason, you go back to your permanent rank. In Admiral Kimmel's case, it was two stars. Well, this applied to many uh, admirals in World War II. 
So in order to correct that, in order to do a nice thing for all of these uh, admirals that served in World War II, they passed the Officer Personnel Act in 1947, providing that everybody was allowed to retire at the highest held temporary rank, with one exception. Dare I ask you what it is, Al? <laughs> correct. It's Admiral Kimmel. Yeah. Okay, I've asked you the question. Why is Admiral Kimmel the only qualified flag officer not advanced under the Officer Personnel Act of 1947? Here's the answer. In 1948, the Navy Department merely omitted the name of Admiral Kimmel from the list of flag officers whose promotion was authorized. That would be everyone else, without any reference to his or anyone's performance, Al, this constituted clearly a belated special disciplinary action of a punitive kind taken without notice to the officer specifically singled out by such admission, Admiral Kimmel. <clears throat> All right. Now I want to use you as uh, the foil here. <sighs> I want to try and drive this point home because it's terribly important. Yeah. Again, it has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with command accountability or responsibility. This is the only thing that we are seeking relief under this uh, outrage performed by the Navy Department uh, manipulating the Office of Personnel Act of 1947. <clears throat> so let me try this hypothetical line. This is a hypothetical analogy. Here we go. My, my hypothetical here. Okay. I'm the sorry. Congress passes a law allowing special good guy awards, I'll call them SGGAs, to all radio hosts countrywide. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Navy Department, or in this case, the Federal Communications Commission, merely omits the name of Al Warren from the list of radio hosts countrywide whose SGGA award is authorized. That would be everyone else, including, I might say, several radio hosts that are not well-known as bad guys, or I should say that are well-known as bad guys, or at least not good guys, without any reference to his or anyone's performance, constituting a belated special disciplinary action of a punitive kind taken without notice to the radio host specifically singled out by such a mission, Al Warren. <clears throat> In other words, if we can't get Warren by hook, then we're going to get him by crook. Please note, Al, that in neither the Kimmel case nor the hypothetical Warren case is there anything said about performance, let alone command responsibility. So with all of this time going by and, and, and nothing being done, what's the general response that you get? Um, I, I know that you've... Um, sent the letters and, and we have them and uh, um, to the current president and it's this has been going on for a few presidents and Senator Biden who's um, been really a chief sponsor of a bill back when he was just you know Senator Biden before the vice presidency and um, he recommended the advancement of, of, of Admiral Kimmel um, so 
what's 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 happened? Why why haven't they moved forward then? I mean, he's now the vice president. Um, he seems to be in a good position, and he certainly seems to get along well with the actual president right now. So, what's what's happened? Well, that's of course a great question, and I can answer that question. As I indicated earlier, what they generally use as a, an excuse uh, not to advance Kimlin short is this idea of they're in command, end of the story. Well, so it's, it's more of a, it's, it's almost like a punishment. It's almost like saying, well, you were in charge. Everything didn't go well. Um, so you're the blame. And uh, bottom line, you're paying for it type thing. And um, we're not going to reward you by advancing you the two stars. Um, because what you did was was wrong. It's kind of in a way. It's it's like um, looking back and punishing someone. Um, and I'm sort of thinking that's what you're trying to say. Well, I'm trying to be uh, uh, <laughs> I, I go with an, an analysis of the meaning of responsibility, and the Navy Department likes to use uh, their idea of uh, responsibility as an abstraction. It's the Navy Department's last refuge for denying Kimmel advancement. Uh, they do that and they're uh, able to uh, persistently refuse refuse to find out the truth uh, by applying uh, an abstract concept of command responsibility to avoid any further analysis. And, of course, this abstraction, in fact, conceals false and destroys responsibility. And I take my cue from none other than uh, Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers uh, centuries ago. Uh, the gist of what he said there was that the executive tends to conceal false and destroy responsibility. Amen. It often becomes impossible amidst mutual accusations to determine on whom the blame or the punishment ought really to fall. And he questions, he says, who is there that will either take the trouble or incur the odium of a strict scrutiny into the secret springs of the transaction? If there happen to be collusion between the parties concerned, how easy it is to cloth the circumstances with so much ambiguity as to render it uncertain what was the precise conduct of any of these parties. <clears throat> so, if the, if the Navy Department is allowed to say, you're responsible and that's the end of the story, uh, it makes it difficult. <laughs> unless, unless I can counter with the thought that command responsibility has nothing to do with what we are seeking by way of relief. We are merely seeking advancement posthumously under the Office of Personnel Act of 1947. And I think I have demonstrated completely that the people who advanced under the Office of Personnel Act had nothing to do with their performance or the uh, uh, command responsibility. But I, maybe I should drive the point home even further. 
Consider this. I should definitely mention that the Army treated General Short in the same underhanded way that uh, the Navy treated Admiral, Admiral Kimmel. Consider this. Major General Henry Miller, Major General, seven weeks, seven weeks before D-Day, Major General Henry Miller, a member of General Spatz's Army Air, Air Corps staff, got drunk at a nightclub in London, the famous Claridge's, and proceeded to take bets that the D-Day invasion would occur before June 15, 1944. When General Spatz found out about this outrage, he immediately placed Major General Miller under house arrest. When Eisenhower found out about it, after he unscrewed himself from the ceiling, because we are talking at one of the most closely guarded secrets of the Allies at that time, <clears throat> he demoted Major General Henry Miller to Colonel, that's 06, and returned him to the United States. All right, need I, incidentally, D-Day is June 6, 1944. Need I mention that under the Office of Personnel Act of 1947, Colonel Henry Miller was allowed to retire at his highest held temporary rank of Major General. Now, he's not the only one here, not the only example of promoted unworthiness. We can include in that list Major General John Lucas at Anzio, who was relieved of his command for a gross inefficiency, as well as Major General Lloyd, Lloyd Friedenhall at Kazarine Pass. I, I, I get that um, <clears throat> some people will assume that, or will say that, okay, so um, uh, Kimmel was in charge, uh, you know, and uh, therefore it's uh, a matter of, 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 of fault to that. But the, the essence of this is that... Um, it has nothing to do with um, how he retires, like like the ranking you're saying. So I'm trying to to figure out who's putting a stop to this. Well, it's uh, dying in the Navy Department. Uh, that seems to be the uh, genesis of it. Uh, a reason given was uh, given by Commander Roger Scott of the Judge Advocate General's Corps in 1998. This is important because in 1995, Roger Scott was the general counsel uh, for the Dorn uh, Committee. In a military law review in 1998, Roger Scott takes on the issue of why we're not advancing Kimmel. And he says, and I quote now, even admitting for the sake of argument all of the facts alleged in the Kimmel case, by Tom Kimmel, I'll put that in there. The more important consideration is unapologetically protection of the established scope of presidential power itself. Try arguing that one, Al. So we're not going to advance Kimmel because if we advance Kimmel, somehow we're going to undermine the scope of presidential power. Well, okay. Here's another reason. Chief of Naval Operations James Holloway. In 2003, he happened to be in the audience at a national press conference held by my uncle, uh, a professor at the University of Florida, 
uh, Michael Gannon, the author of Pearl Harbor Betrayed, a marvelous scholar and gentleman, and myself. My cousin Manning was with us as well. We thought we were doing this up brown, but the fellow who sold the show was in the audience, Chief of Naval Operations James Holloway III, former Chief of Naval Operations. Well, keep in mind, now this is a national uh, press club, rendering from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Admiral Holloway got up during the question and answer period. He didn't have a question, but he wanted to make a statement. (laughs) Whatever he he had in his hand, I can't remember what it was, but he threw it down on his chair and offered that this whole thing is totally political, he said. What we have to do is find a way that the president can make this judgment and politically benefit from it. (laughs) So, Al, I think Admiral Holloway uh, hit the nail on the head. Uh, This story that I'm telling you was written up as a feature article in uh, Naval History magazine uh, from the United States Naval Institute of Proceedings, which is a, a famous trade magazine of the Navy in February of 2004, and the article zeroed in, not on anything that my uncle or Professor Gannon had to say, but on what Admiral Holloway had to say. <clears throat> and we have been trying to uh, effectively use Admiral Holloway's counsel ever since, trying to figure out a way that the president could make this judgment and politically benefit from it. And we thought, uh, surely... President Obama would be interested in benefiting from this. And indeed, President Obama actually <laughs> attempted uh, to nominate uh, an Air Force officer under uh, very similar circumstances. In 2010, President Obama nominated Major General uh, John Lavelle, uh, to four stars, posthumously. This was in 2010. He did that because John Lavelle, who was the head of the uh, 6th or 7th Air Force, I can never remember which one, in Vietnam, was cashiered as a four-star general, was cashiered out of the Air Force during a kerfuffle uh, introduced by the New York Times accusing... uh, uh, General John Lavelle, of illegally bombing North Vietnamese surface-to-air missile sites. <clears throat> this uh, dust-up resulted in the Air Force uh, effectively firing four-star General John Lavelle and uh, allowing him to take the heat for all of this. Well, so it was. Soon thereafter, uh, General Lavelle deceased. His son and another, researching an entirely different matter, got a hold of the Watergate tapes. And they found that President Nixon, on the Watergate tapes, had actually given authority to John Lavelle to bomb these North Vietnamese surface-to-air missile sites. So, with that, armed with that information, they approached the Air Force Board for Correction of Military Records. And the Air Force Board for Correction of Military Records agreed. They found injustice and recommended that the relief be granted as sought by 
John Lavelle's son. And they recommended that the Secretary of the Air Force grant the relief to John Lavelle and recommend the posthumous promotion of John Lavelle from two stars to four stars, his highest temporary rank. Well, the Secretary of the Air Force agreed. So he took it to the Secretary of Defense. And the Secretary of Defense agreed. <laughs> the Secretary of Defense took it to President Obama, because that's the way these things work. The president has to nominate flag and general officers for promotion. This is the way it works uh, routinely. And the president sends his nominated rep recommendations to the Senate Armed Services Committee. And the Senate Armed Services Committee gives advice and consent. And they put their imprimatur on it, and that's done. Then uh, it has the effect of law, and uh, the promotion is affected. Well, in this case, President Obama, October of 2010, made the nomination to the Senate Armed Services Committee, and the then head of the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, Levine, from uh, Senator Levine from uh, Michigan, <clears throat> and his minority counterpart, John McCain, they sat on the nomination and allowed it to expire the term of the Senate without acting on it. In other words, they temporized to the point where no action was taken. The term of the Senate expired, and now if Obama is going to get the nomination, he has to renominate, which has not happened. Why would McCain and Levine let it expire? You're going to have to ask them. I don't know, but I guarantee you John Lavelle's son would like to know. Very few people know about this either. I, I just, uh, we, we were greatly encouraged. I mean, here we got the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, who started this whole ball rolling uh, in uh, 1999, actually. He was not a sponsor of the bill recommending that the President nominate uh, Admiral Kimmel and General Short. He was the chief sponsor of the bill in 1999 and again in 2000. That recommendation was uh, elevated to law by the, the Armed Forces um, Authorization Act for fiscal year 2001, which was signed by President Clinton in October of 2000. But he didn't take the action. It was merely a recommendation from the Congress that the President nominate. And, of course, that recommendation is in perpetuity. So anybody that uh, has the office of the president, <clears throat> if they're going to follow the recommendation of the Congress, they need to nominate uh, Kimmel and Short. But they haven't done that yet. Well, here we have Vice President Biden now sitting uh, next to, presumably, the president, Obama. <clears throat> and we know that Obama, in 2010, acted on... A, a, a quite similar situation with uh, Major General John Lavelle and actually made the nomination, but uh, it, 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 didn't, it didn't happen. So there we are. <laughs> we certainly had every reason to uh, be hopeful. Yeah. Uh, and we're still hopeful. I yeah. mean, yeah. this is the 16th. we got four more days, Al. We'll see. <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, you know, um, 
we're hanging in there until, yeah, <laughs> until it's over. I would think that <laughs> there would be an advantage to him doing it, or any president, so I'm not sure exactly why they're not doing it. Um, there's, there's a lot of, um, in, in the background now, of course, you know, and I know you've been in the uh, Navy yourself and FBI and, and, uh, and around the world. And so when it comes to FDR and Pearl Harbor and uh, the codes, the Japanese codes, magic and, uh, and the purple code and, and, and all those things that, that, that have been figured out since then, and there's a lot of talk that, you know, FDR, it was his way of getting into the war, and he kind of knew it was happening, and there's, there's that whole theory, and there's, a, there, there's just a lot of this back talk like this. Do you think that there's any credible th thought to this, because maybe this is why when someone like Biden gets into the position of vice president and stuff like that, maybe that they don't do or act on it is because they don't want to expose that? <clears throat> well, it's certainly a possibility. One of the um, many possible reasons why they uh, would just as soon leave Kimmel and Short uh, twisting slowly in the wind so they don't have to get into the matter of the penetration of the Roosevelt administration by uh, Soviet espionage, which of course we find out we don't find out until 1995 was rampant. <clears throat> we strongly suspected, but the Venona uh, confirmation is not made public till 1995. Uh, for your listeners that might not know what Venona is, uh, Venona was a code word for the secret American decoding of Soviet spy communications prior to and during World War II which has identified some uh, 345, give me an allowance on the numbers, that's off the top of my head, Americans that were corrupted <clears throat> in government service by the Soviets. Uh, it's rather a remarkable find and a, an amazing counterintelligence coup on the part of the American intelligence community. Half of these 345, or whatever the exact number is, have been identified by true name. The other half still have not been identified by true name, and we've only identified them by code name. Uh, some of the people that are identified are just remarkable. Uh, case in point, in Pearl Harbor, which is the most remarkable of the many remarkable people who have been identifi identified as spying for the Soviets, was Harry Dexter White. Well, it is amazing to me that with all of the current uh, chit-chat, and hullabaloo about whether the Russians have interfered with our political system. But <laughs> when I consider how much the Russians interfered with our political system in 1940, 41, and on, and of course Harry Dexter White is the prime example. What's your plans now, um, as it stands? Because I know the change of administrations this week. Um, if Obama does not act. Um, do you have any um, sort of um, strategic plans coming up? Uh, well, sure we do. We're going to try and find uh, somebody that uh, uh, President-elect Trump listens to <coughs> and see if we can't plead our case with him. Uh, I would like to get a copy of A Matter of Honor before President-elect uh, Trump. Uh, again, I'm not, we're not doing anything. 
until after the 20th. <laughs> yeah. We're we're riding with Biden until the 20th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and on a personal note, we have to ask, because I, I don't think they do this enough, but uh, how has this affected your family and, and over the years? And uh, has this always been sort of a monkey on the back sitting uh, your whole life? Uh, well, only since I was about 17 years yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. I'm 70 right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would just, I, you know, the thing, the thing is, um, um, I, I, I just, I don't know how to finish it. I just think that um, this is something that we need to do um, and go forward. And, and, and you and your family have spent so much time with service to the U.S. that um, it's something that we all um, need to pay attention to and, and respect that. And I think that... Uh, more people need to get on board. Um, so uh, you know, I, I you know, I, that's the best way I can leave it is to say that um, um, we will have the links up on our websites as well as the petition that's up there, and um, and also the book. And uh, we, we wish you the best of luck going forward, and, and we're in total support. And um, I, I hope this gets done. Well, I thank you for that effort. Uh, hey, you know, what, what are we going to do? We're going to continue to uh, try and frame the issue. We're going to frame the issue, and we'll do it by uh, speaking to uh, media when they give us an opportunity, like uh, you, you've given me, and I, I obviously I've leaped at the opportunity. Maybe I can leave you with this one uh, thought from uh, the famous Fleet Admiral Nimitz, the man who took over from my grandfather as the Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific. Uh, when I was at the Naval Academy in uh, 1965, uh, I was a senior there. Uh, we had a history course uh, called Sea Power, and we were studying the text written by Nimitz and the famous uh, Navy historian Potter at the time. And <clears throat> I'm reading away, and uh, all of a sudden on page 650, I read this quote, which I bandy about all the time, from none other than Fleet Admiral Nimitz. He's answering the question, why was it possible, this is Congress's famous question, why was it possible for a Pearl Harbor to occur since we had the greatest intelligence in the history of the United States, and yet still a Pearl Harbor occurred? How is that possible? And Nimitz answered the question, quote, Admiral Kimmel had been given no information which would justify interrupting a very urgent training schedule. I read that quote when I was 21 or 22 years old, <laughs> it's still the best single sentence uh, encapsulation of why Pearl Harbor occurred because of that. Well, again, uh, thank you very much for taking the time and being on the show. It's, it's an honor, and, you know, thank you for your service. Well, thank you very much for that thought. Anytime you want to uh, uh, discuss this further... <laughs> I'm your man. I've got plenty more to say. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>